Hello and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm Logan Finney. Joining me this week is Bruce Agnew, who's the director of the Regional Infrastructure Accelerator with Penwar, the Pacific Northwest Economic Region. Bruce, thanks for sitting down with me. My pleasure. Uh, so Penwar is a um, multi-government organization that is um, five states in the United States and then a collection of five provinces and territories in Canada as well. Um, can you give me a little bit of context for what you specifically do with the Regional Infrastructure Accelerator? Sure. Well, Penware was formed in 1991, <clears throat> and it's a public-private partnership. So our governing board, our state legislators, and our president this year was Idaho State Senator Chuck Winder. Uh, and um, that's why we were in Boise, because of the summit. And we have a delegation of uh, Idaho legislators that are, that are part of our governing structure. And then we also have a unique Idaho State Council that advises Penware on the 16 working groups that we have. And that is led by Ken Day from Simplot and, uh, and the Speaker of the House. Uh, and our accelerator, our particular project, was funded by the US Department of Transportation to accelerate projects in the five states. Now in Idaho, we've focused on railroads, Union Pacific, both in terms of getting agricultural products uh, efficiently. Uh, from su southern Idaho uh, through the UP line to Portland and uh, ports of Seattle and Tacoma. We've been working with uh, Elaine Clegg and the folks at Valley Regional Transit to develop a uh, or support their development of a regional transit system, regional rail, and a future inner city rail restoration project because Boise used to be a major passenger rail center going back to the Averill Harriman and Sun Valley days. Uh, and that service initially would be between Boise, Pocatello, Shoshone, and Salt Lake. So uh, we're also working on the north part of the state with BNSF. On, we supported the Sandpoint Junction Connector, which was the double bridge across Lake Ponderay. So, um, and we're working on some uh, electrification hydrogen um, projects uh, around the northwest that, uh, for refueling or charging of commercial trucks. So. We, we do a lot of different uh, projects. Yeah, some of the sessions this morning were particularly focused on passenger rail. Right. Um, but one of the sessions was uh, the idea that passenger and freight rail need to cooperate, that they're better working in conjunction together. Right. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about those considerations? Because, um, you know, I, as someone who grew up in Sandpoint, I know that there's an Amtrak station there, but it doesn't really connect to much of the rest of the state because of our odd geography. So I, I think for a lot of Idahoans, they might be familiar with industry's use of freight rail, but passenger rail might not be as familiar anymore as it used to be. Can you talk to me about that? Yes, this morning we focused, uh, we had senior executives from Union Pacific and BNSF. We had agricultural folks uh, from Idaho uh, and passenger rail advocates all in two different panels talking about, first and foremost, what we call high performance rail is to understand what the operating needs of the host railroad. I mean, we're talking about running passenger trains on Union Pacific or BNSF tracks. We have to understand what we need to do uh, in terms of public investment in that rail corridor that allows them to serve their customers, both current and future customers. Because we want freight rail, particularly agricultural exports from Idaho, to grow. So. We can't take any capacity away from the, those main lines. So projects such as uh, joint investments with federal and state money um, and shipper funding to put uh, sidings in, 
highway rail grade separations, and I mean, you know, overpasses and underpasses on rail corridor. We've been looking at kind of the Caldwell, Nampa area, where, which can be fairly congested, and, and CUNA uh, for possible grade separation projects, working with um, the Idaho Transportation Department. Uh, and the idea is what is, what, what are the series of investments that need to be made in the corridor that protect freight rail, first and foremost, but also provide an opportunity for additional passenger trains. Now, Boise is unique because there's a bypass rail off the main line of UP that services the Boise, the old Boise train station. So that's where I understand Valley Regional Transit is, is proposing to supplement their bus service with a, a regional uh, rail and also uh, work with uh, both developers for housing opportunities, land development around the stations, and um, and rail um, customers that benefit from delivery of product by rail versus truck. Uh, there are some great opportunities in the Treasure Valley to increase jobs and access, mobility access for folks that are maybe commuting into um, Boise and, and, and find the interstate fairly congested. Okay. <clears throat> um, I want to travel back up north for a second and ask you another freight question. Mm -hmm. um, the highly contentious idea of breaching the Snake River dams mm -hmm. um, and, and changing the way that we manage that stretch of the Snake River um, is still very much a long shot, but sometimes it feels closer to reality than it has in a long time. Mm -hmm. And one of the considerations there is that so much agricultural product gets barged down that river. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes advocates of, of breaching the dams will say, oh, we'll just ship it to, to freight trains instead and that'll you know, that, that kind of gets glossed over. How, how much of a difficulty or how much of an impact would that have on the greater rail network if we got rid of those dams? Well, there, th this is an issue that, uh, it, since it involves interstate commerce is, uh, and federal energy policy, is really in the best hands of the congressional folks. But from our perspective, um, this, the, Snake, the Columbia Snake River system and the dams that prevent floods and generate electricity and provide recreational opportunities are, are very important to the economy. And the Port of Lewiston, for instance, is, uh, is a very important inland port in North America. And, and lately there's been some you know, additional cruise ships and some, you know, some really kind of cool things happening on the, on the river. Um, the, the thought that somehow breaching those dams when we need a whole lot of new clean energy to decarbonize transportation, to electrify appliances. Uh, you can't take away from the base power supply. It just it just won't work. So we don't think those um, suggestions are really grounded on economic reality or uh, a commitment to climate change by generating enough clean electricity. Um, you simply need the dams to do that. So, and in addition, in terms of the barging versus rail. There are a lot of industries on the Columbia River Gorge, particularly in the Oregon side, that have developed because of barging. It's not just exporting grain overseas. There are a lot of industries that need that access to the inland port. So it's a bigger issue than just uh, simply breaching the dams and, and rerouting uh, that, that traffic on railroads. And, and the other thing is the railroads really don't have the capacity uh, or, or the operational um, um, you know, uh, engineering and operational uh, improvements that would it take to to take away from long distance hauling to more regional hauling? It's just uh, you know, it's just a, a heavy lift. 
Thank you for that perspective, yeah. One of the other projects that the Regional Infrastructure Accelerator is working on is, like you referenced, zero emission refueling for mm -hmm. commercial traffic. And can you tell me about that program and how, how, uh, how you guys are also viewing freight corridors as um, not just for freight, but also just as connective tissue more generally for the transportation right. network? Well, the Federal Highway Administration uh, used to have a corridor gateway program where they'd actually fund interstate highway projects or border crossings or gateway uh, they did away with that several years ago, which was a big mistake. Now, uh, right now, we, we are in the second year of a $1.2 trillion infrastructure investment program, which is good news and, and has actually funded several projects in Idaho, including a highway rail grade separation project up in Coeur d'Alene area. Um, but uh, what we're looking at with the accelerator is to talk to the trucking industry, the, the shippers, the, the, the customers, the retail outlets, um, if it's going to be federal law that we need to decarbonize freight trucks, for instance, by whatever the dates change, but uh, we're simply going to have to develop a substitute um, fueling uh, uh, network um, to go to either electrification, for which tends to work better for short haul trucking or, or local trucking, uh, where the truck goes back to a base every night. Um, hydrogen seems to be the way to go for long distance class eight trucks that are you know, overnighting on, on the interstate. Now, where do those facilities go? Uh, it makes sense to put them at truck stops, maybe in, perhaps in partnership with some, some uh, tribal folks um, that, that have land on the interstate. Um, it, it is, uh, the, the secondary question is, on these routes, is there sufficient electricity to provide the kind of kilowatt hours to, to charge trucks, which take a lot more um, than personal vehicles or light duty vehicles? So in some cases, yes, in Treasure Valley, Boise, Idaho Power, um, but you get over into Eastern Idaho and I-82 and it, it's more problematic. So. Uh, again, we need to gen we need to produce more electricity, uh, more clean energy, uh, if we're going to decarbonize transportation. But it's, I, I suspect it's going to take a longer transition period than people than some of the political figures who are pushing it uh, realize. And it's just going to take a long time to change, not just the way that trucks are fueled, but the operations of the trucks, the maintenance of the truck. There's a world difference between an electric or hydrogen truck than a diesel truck. And they're also, these new trucks are very, very expensive. So how do these truckers, whether they're major fleets or whether they're independent operators, how do they afford it? And those are open questions that are gonna take a lo longer time than I suspect um, the political uh, folks really fully understand. Part of our job is to educate them uh, about the practical challenges to conversion. Yeah, that has been kind of a through line I've picked up <clears throat> between, I've, I was here on Monday and Wednesday of the conference and that's something I've heard a lot is, a real clear-eyed vision of, of just how much it's going to take to to reach these really lofty goals. Yeah, well, you know, back in the days of uh, 1900s with Standard Oil, it took decades to develop gas stations, fueling stations uh, around the country. Uh, so it's it's going to take some time to provide enough power and and then not only to build the infrastructure, but to maintain it. Again, that's why truck stops make a lot of sense because there's already some, um, you know, retail outlets and, and truck parking and, and some things that make make it work uh, for conversion uh, to either hydrogen refueling or or electric charging. 
Sure. Um, something else that's unique about the moment that we're in right now uh, as a as a country is the the IIJA JA the <laughs> Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act or the the bipartisan infrastructure bill. I told you I'm a politics reporter. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of funding that's available in yeah. in this space right now. Um, one of the sessions uh, leading up to lunch today was about just how much permitting can get in the way of accessing that money sometimes. It can be difficult for a small municipality or a county who doesn't have a lot of staff to access these kind of grant programs or buckets of funding that are available. Um, if someone who's listening to this podcast who works for a small local government uh, is interested in trying to take advantage of that, does Penwar have um, technical assistance or sort of resources yes. available that can help them leverage that? Well, we do, but uh, in the tradition of Penwar, we try to work uh, through the state, uh, and so we have Idahoans talking to Idahoans. So we have worked out a partnership with the uh, LHTAC, Local Highway Technical Assistance uh, uh, Council or Commission, uh, Layla and her team there, um, to be our you know, kind of agent here uh, for dealing with smaller governments, working uh, with the different highway districts around Idaho, both in terms of writing the grant. These, what they call NOFOs, Notice of Funding Opportunities, are very complicated. And most jurisdictions uh, or tribal governments don't have the staff to be able to provide the kind of documentation and technical analysis for these grants. So they need some support, and, and we provide that, but we do it through local partners. And we're very close with the Idaho Transportation Department and their folks, and, and um, it, it's complicated, but it, with some su support, you can successfully get these grants, as, as I referenced earlier, with some grade separation projects up in Coeur d'Alene area. On the permit reform side, that bedevils us, uh, as you heard uh, at lunch. Um, it, the federal agencies are, there's multiple agencies with different time frames. We don't have a unified federal permitting process. You had state permitting on top, of, uh, on top of that. You're looking at, you know, even clean energy projects, w w solar farms and wind turbines are, are or new nuclear, uh, which is very popular here, small nuclear reactors. Um, they, they take seven to 10 years to permit, which, is too long, and and but what also is important is our commitment to the environment. So we're not saying that we need to change the substance of the environmental laws. It's the process. It's all about the process. Um, we can ha we can have a good environment and a environmental mitigation for energy projects, for instance, but we need to do that uh, in a way that it makes economic sense. Because if it takes you seven to 10 years to get a solar farm up and running, you're, that's gonna eat up your capital, and that plus uh, inflation. And all of a sudden, your budget goes up 20 to 30% to take care of inflation and the delay in the permit. That's, that's not doable, that's not what we want if we wanna really transition to a cleaner future. Okay. You, being on Penware staff, are involved with organizing and logistics and getting everybody together here. Um, Taking a step away from that, what's been the most interesting or most insightful thing that you've heard at the conference this week? Oh, gosh. Well, there's an interesting session on feral swine <laughs> <laughs> and the invasion of uh, these, these wild pigs up into the Northwest. Um, it, there's just such a depth and breadth of topics here. Uh, all the clean energy and transmission capacity and presentations by Idaho Power and BPA and were fascinating. The, the cross-border livestock health issue. 
Um, the invasive species, the mussels, and the threat that they pose to our lakes in the Northwest, coming from the Midwest and the South. Um, workforce training, the lack of skilled labor, um, uh, agriculture, all aspects of agriculture, the production, critical minerals. That was a fascinating session. There's mines, such I think it's Perpetua mines up near McCall. They're trying to develop these critical minerals so that we can electrify our cars and we don't have to depend on China or the Congo or these other countries. Um, uh, there, there's just, not only are the, the depth and breadth of the topics interesting, the Pinware region itself, which stretches from the Arctic Circle and Northwest Territories in Alaska to the Crow Nation in Eastern Montana. Uh, Republican, Democrat, blue states, red states, putting aside some ideological differences on things, but working together on clean energy, smart transportation, workforce training, economic development. Uh, it's a pretty cool thing. All right. Well, Bruce Agnew, director with the Regional Infrastructure Accelerator with Penworth, Pacific Northwest Economic Region. Thanks for your time this week. My pleasure. Thanks, Logan. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Marcia Franklin, the producer and host of Dialogue. For more than 25 years, we've been bringing you conversations that matter. More than 150 of those conversations are with writers, and now you can take them with you wherever you go, while you're walking, around the house, or in the car. Just search for Dialogue with Marcia Franklin on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms, and remember to subscribe so that new shows download automatically. Enjoy.